welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams, and you're listening to episode 100. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening to this podcast. I cannot believe that here we are at 100 episodes. I thought I'd bring back the old intro there just for this episode anyway, and um uh, I want to thank you, especially if you've been listening, if you're a longtime listener and you were with us whenever we kicked this off. If you remember, it's been two years now. We started this in December of uh, 2018, actually. So two years in the making, and this past year has been kind of a milestone for me. was able to have one episode every single week, um, and up until this week, I think we've had like an actual guest. Um, so you're stuck with me today, kind of. Uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do today, but I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you if you've uh, told your friends about this, word of mouth. Thank you, a uh, big thank you if you've um, you know done some sort of review or left a rating, if your little platform allows you to do that. I know it does on iTunes, and I would uh, encourage you to do that if you would. Um, it would be a big gift to me uh, to see that number go up a little bit, because I think it shares it with more people, the higher the rating. I don't know, but uh, just really grateful for any way that you participate. I really thank you for sending emails. Um, you guys have sent me some really encouraging stuff. And also, just want to thank you if you've been a guest on the show. Um, your stories is what keeps this going. And <laughs> we've had a hundred, at least a hundred great uh, stories. And um, just want to thank you so much for that. If you want to know what the show is all about, uh, and you haven't listened to the bonus episodes, go back and listen to uh, bonus episode one or two. That's uh, several about, about two months ago, I think we did that. That's what the show's all about. But today, uh, what I decided to do was go back over the last 100 shows, last 99 shows, and pick out just some of the most memorable <laughs> stories uh, that kind of pop up in my mind. And maybe you have some different ones, and as I look back, I remember each and every guest and some of the things that they said. So if you're a guest and I, I don't include you in this, please don't think I don't think you're memorable. Uh, but there's just some that just made me laugh, some that really had a lot of heart to them. And so that's what we're going to do today. I will introduce each guest kind of quickly, kind of give you a little background to whatever the story is that they're telling so it makes sense. And we'll listen to some clips, and, and I have several for you today. Today that I think you're going to love. And if you uh, don't, if you haven't listened to those episodes, I'll include the episode number so that you can go back, find it uh, wherever you're listening, and, and be able to enjoy the full episode. Guys, once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to dive right in today, and we're going to go back to the beginning, episode one. <laughs> episode one, I think I just put out on uh, some sort of forum, hey, anybody interested in coming on telling a story? And I found in episode one a guy named Marco Marcabrada, and Marco came on to tell a story about his first deer, and there's this funny story he tells about uh, this encounter before his first deer came in with him and a, a hot drink in his hand. I'll let him tell that. Here we go. He's just right. I'm not going to shoot an animal that's got his bum towards me. So, right. So, you know, I was like, all right. And then at that point, I feel I, I, I feel this weird sensation and my hands start shaking. And I was like, well, this is odd. <laughs> and then I get full body rigors, full body, <laughs> uncontrollable, just shaking. I'm like, okay. 
And I guess this is Buck Fever. Yeah. So it's it's a good saddle. thing you're like tied to the, you know, you're tied to that saddle. So you're still hanging in there. <laughs> well, yeah, because like my arms, my, my whole body's shaking. And I'm trying to calm myself down. I'm going, I know what's going on. Marco, you're excited. Calm down, man. Calm down. So, you know, I'm like massaging my neck. I'm doing deep breathing. I'm like, okay, so 10 minutes of this. I'm still shaking. Uh, it, it's, it's like beyond my control. So I'm like, okay, I got some hot chocolate. Let's take some hot chocolate. So I unscrew the thermos. I pour some hot chocolate. I put it back in the pack. And I take a sip. And as I'm taking the sip, you know, you put the cup to your mouth. And I look at the cup to make sure I don't spill all over myself. And they look past the cup. And like seven yards away is a four-point buck. Oh, man. And I have... Literally, I just poured hot chocolate, and it was great. I was like, Marco, you're going to sit in the tree the whole day, so make it really extra hot. So it was boiling. So I look at this hot chocolate. I'm looking at the bucket. He's, like, taking his time. Super quiet. Didn't even realize he was there. So I, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to drink this. So I chug. I take a sip, and it burns my entire tongue. <laughs> my tongue is now blistering. The inside, the roof of my mouth, you know, you got that. Like, you can feel the skin peeling off. And I'm oh, like, no. okay, I can't finish this cup. But now it's like three quarters full. So I bite the cup with my teeth and I'm holding the cup in my teeth. This buck is quartering away at like nine yards now. I pick up the crossbow. The cup is still in my teeth. I'm trying not to spill <laughs> boiling liquid. And I'm not even worried about my pants or my groin. I'm worried about hot chocolate dripping down and him catching it. So I've got, I got a cup and I'm trying to shoulder the crossbow and I've got this cup. And and I'm trying to get the sight picture. The thing I could have thrown a I could have thrown a rock at it. It was right right there. And 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 I'm like, get the sight window, get the scope, get the scope on it. And I can kind of, but you know, the eye relief is all different because there's a large cup of hot chocolate. Between yeah, you me. don't you don't practice with a, a cup of hot chocolate. You know, in your mouth. <laughs> I've seen in the movies they do the one handed crossbow shot. You know, yeah. gangster style, but. So I let that deer go as well, and oh, and there's, this there's your first your first encounter this close. You have two deer this close. They walk by. So what are you feeling after that? So the shakes at this point, yeah. I knew it was coming. So the shakes come, and the shakes were there for like ten minutes. One of my favorite stories. Marco was such an awesome first guest. I was so grateful to have him on to kind of kick things off. Uh, next episode up is episode 9, Don Higgins. Now, typically on this show, I've had what you would call average Joes, guys like you and me who aren't famous. Um, but actually, the very first guest I ever recorded a podcast with was Don Higgins. He was at a um, uh, Ohio Deer and Turkey Expo, heard him speak, went up to him afterwards, told him about the podcast and that I had in my head. And uh, so I kind of went for <laughs> this well-known guy right as my first uh, podcast guest and recorded it and he did such a great job telling the story of his first 200 inch plus deer and it was just an incredible story but what's most incredible about this story to me besides how big the deer was was what happened afterwards don was accused of poaching this deer and the story that happens afterwards is absolutely remarkable that's episode nine here's don telling a short snippet of that story oh i'm grabbing a bite to eat for lunch the conservation officer shows up at my house and uh, knocks on the door and says, I understand you shot a 
pretty nice buck last night. And I said, yeah, I did. And I'm thinking, well, somebody's probably turned me in for poaching or something. And he just wants to look at the wound on the beard and make sure it was properly tagged and everything. I, I knew I'd done nothing wrong, so I wasn't a bit concerned at the time. <laughs> and I took him out to the shed where the deer was, and I showed it to him. And he starts asking more questions, uh, whose land was on when I shot it and, and this and that. And Well, pretty quick I get the idea that something's going on here. And, and then he finally, you know, opens up and he says, uh, you know, I got a call about this deer that, that uh, you was trespassing when you shot this deer. And I said, well, I absolutely was not. He says, well, I'm going to need you to take me and, and uh, show me where you shot the deer. And I said, that's no problem at all. So we go, he says, I'll follow you. You drive your truck and I'll follow you in my vehicle. So we we do that. We drive up this the old lady's long lane and park there by her barn. As we're getting out of our vehicles, this old lady comes running out of the house. And she's got her finger in that, that game board and some face, and she's chewing him out big time. She says, I told you he has permission to be here. You leave him alone. It's the other guys that, that called you that don't have permission. And uh, she was really chewing that guy out. And I, I tr- tried to calm her down, told him it's all right. I told her it's all right. You know, I'm going to show him where I shot the deer. and It's on your land. It won't be an issue. So we're walking across the field to that corner where my stand was at. and We're still a couple hundred yards away. And he says, is that your stand up there in the corner? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, he says, I've already been here and I've seen that stand. And he said, but uh, I can't find any blood around that stand. You're going to have to show me a blood trail starting, you know, on this lady's property. And I said, that's no problem at all. So we walk up to the, the stand, and he's out in front of the stand in the field looking for blood. And I said, the deer wasn't out there. I said, the deer was in the woods behind the stand when I shot him. He hadn't made it out to the field yet. So we went back there, and sure enough, I find the blood trail from the night before and track it right to where the deer died. And, uh, and, you know, I'm telling the story of how it happens we're there and we get done. And he says to me, he says, well, I believe what you're telling me because the evidence is here to support it. And uh, so we walk back to the, the uh, to our vehicles and uh, we get in our vehicles to leave. And I, I leave first. I'm headed down the old lady's lane. And I think to myself, wait a minute, I, I've got, I had three witnesses with me whenever I was, whenever I retrieve that there. So if he's got any further questions, I got three guys that can back up everything I'm saying. So yeah. I, I stop at the end of the lane and this guy's coming in his vehicle towards me and, and, he's, and I get out to, to go back and tell him and give him the three guys' names and phone numbers. And I can see that he's on his cell phone and he stops about a hundred yards from me and he's on his phone. So I just stand there and wait for him to pull up. And he pulls up there and rolls his window down. Before I can say a word, he says, I need to follow you to your house and get that deer. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. He said, uh, where that deer ended up dying at, uh, the neighbor claims that's on his property. And I said, did you see a fence that we crossed or any line through the woods or anything that looked like a property line? He says, that's not for me to determine. He said, "Uh, but I'm going to have to take your deer. And he says, I'm going to have to give you a ticket for trespassing. Or hunting without permission or something. I don't remember what it was now, but, uh, mm. so I said, wait a minute. I, I had three guys that were with me 
that are all witnesses to this. He said, I, I, I've seen enough. He said, I don't need to talk to anybody else. But he said, I will take their names and stuff, uh, put them in my report. So he's following me to my house, and, and I'm just absolutely devastated. You know, I've waited my entire life to shoot a deer like that. And uh, I do everything right. I, I passed uh, three different times when I seen that, like the first three. I could have taken unethical shots at it. The first one when the deer was alert and looking at me. The second time when he was right there close, but through the thick brush. And then the, the third time would have been about an 80 yard shot. And, you know, I, I passed up all those unethical shots waiting for a good clean shot and did everything right and killed the buck. Uh, and then I get accused of something illegal, which I didn't do. Oh, wow. So he, he pulls up there and, and he says, I'll tell you, he's in a Ford Explorer. And he says, you know, I can't get that deer in this vehicle. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll hang it up, help you hang it up. Cause it wasn't hanging up. It was like laying on the concrete floor. He says, I'll help you hang it up and skin it out. That way you can keep the meat and I'll just take the head and horns. And I said, well, why do you need the head and horns? He says, well, for evidence. And I said, okay, how about we, we skin it out. You take the meat for evidence and I'll keep the head and horns. <laughs> and, uh, matured and, and I just left it in God's hands. And, you know, I knew I'd done everything right on that hunt and I just left it in God's hands. And when it was taken from me and I was being tested, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I held fast to my faith that the, the right thing was going to happen in the end. And it actually just kind of catapulted my hunting career and doors started opening right and left. And I happened to get that deer back two days before the ATA show. Um, oh, wow. And my taxidermist uh, quickly uh, skinned it out, and I was able to, to take that rack to the ATA show. And, you know, a lot of people in the hunting industry had heard that I'd had this big deer seized and they didn't know what to think. And then when I was able to show up at the ATA show and walk around with that rack in my hand, you know, it almost, uh, it, it, it basically, you know, was, I don't even know how to describe it. It was refreshing you know to to prove my innocence kind of a neat story of redemption that uh don has had and since then he's been able to kill a couple more 200 inchers and he's got his own podcast and a lot of cool stuff i was just so honored to have him as my first guest he's a down-to-earth kind of guy and a neat story got to shift gears and go into the funny episode which is episode 76 we have nick williams on also known as nutter buster he uh, starts off this little clip describing the Goonie Bird, which I had never actually heard of until this episode. I'd heard of Goonie Bird. I didn't know it was a real thing. And then he also talks about an encounter that he has with a duck. And uh, you'll just have to listen. So there's this little bird, and it, it's like a little purple chicken, right? And, it, and it's got these little, like, tentacle feet on it. And they're, they're weird. You're just going to have to look them up. It's kind of like if if a coot had a sexy cousin, okay? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm picturing you, this, yeah. You, you just, just take my word for it. Just, like, imagine a coot going to Mardi Gras, okay? I blame it on the 20-gauge. <clears throat> so we go, and, and we start the cripple chase again. And uh, this this dude, his wings were gone, but his legs worked fine. And uh, he was able to swim about as fast as I was able to paddle. Oh, man. I, I chased this little bird, and uh, I, I was down to just a couple of shells. 
and I didn't want to spend up on my shells, and I really didn't want to worry my buddy too much, just blazing away, have him, you know, think something was going weird or that I was hunting without him. So I'm like, I can catch this bird. So I set the gun down, and I go to catch this bird. Well, he gets up on the creek bank, and he starts running. So I hit the, hit the shore, ramming speed, jump out the kayak, and I take off. I say at a sprint, you know, it's it's like ankle deep mud on this creek bank. So I take off at a slog in my waders with my calls and all that stuff on and and this little dude he's booking. Just jiggy 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 jiggy. Off he goes. And uh and he gets back in the creek, so we're playing that game. He's in the creek, I'm splashing kayaks a hundred yards behind me at this point. And uh I finally cornered him. He couldn't get up a bank. He he kinda got off in a little slough, a little mud slough on this creek. And I had him cornered, and I was so aggravated at this point, the only thing I could think of to do, I did not want him to get out of that corner. So I dove about eight feet, and uh, just just barely flopped him, man. <laughs> I annihilated him, probably with gear, probably 230 pounds of frustrated, sweaty redneck on this little bird. Again. I, it, I wish I really that's one of the few times I've wished that I had somebody there with a camera because it would just <laughs> would have gone viral. Oh man. And you could see it in his that. eyes as, as I got closer to him, like we were sizing each other up. There's that moment, you know, where you, you're having the show on <laughs> the wheels. You're gonna, you're gonna dodge your weave and then like you could see in his eyes, he's like, Oh, he's crazy. Like he's actually you watch this bird's mouth open and his eyes go wide. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> <a> little bird. <laughs> and, uh, so, but hey, you know we got our limit, and uh, so I'm paddling back, spitting mud out. You know, got grinding mud up in my teeth when I try to swallow. And uh, and dude, the look on this kid's face when I get <laughs> and and he's like, "Everything go okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, here's your birds. Let's take pictures." I laughed so hard <laughs> at that story, along with a lot, of, a lot of other stories from that episode. Continuing on the funny theme, episode 32 featured Lauren Norris, and he tells the story of his first elk hunt and how he was able to get an elk down, and this is what happens as he goes to field dress the elk. Squeezed on the trigger and uh, hit him. When I hit him, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and looked like he just sucked up the bullet. And I was hunting with a seven millimeter ultra mag and I thought, oh my gosh, he turned and started going up the mountain on the edge of that grass line. And I put another uh, shell in, pulled it between his shoulders and pulled the trigger again. And at that time, it's like it shook the cloud that started peppering down snow and he hit the ground. Mm. He tumbled a couple of times and was laying there and I, I just knew I had him. My buddy had told me to always take the range finder uh, to range because the distance out there was so different than being here in Georgia. So I ranged him, and he was like 260-something yards. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just couldn't believe it. So my buddy called me on my radio and asked me, that, did I get one? I told him, yeah. So I got one down. I see him in front of me. I'm going to go get him. And he said, you need help? I'm like, no, I'm good. I got it. Well, again, I've never elk hunted, had no idea of the size of these animals. So <laughs> I start hiking, get up, finally get up to him, 
And this animal is massive. He was just so big. And I got to thinking, like, how in the world am I going to do this? <laughs> so, and one thing is where he fell, he had went out of the grass over onto the shell rock. It's just a bunch of little slivers of rock everywhere. And it was so slippery, so hard to climb. I, it was it was terrible. But I finally get to him, and his belly's facing down the hill. His head's to my right, and, it, you know, his legs are down. And I thought, okay, I'm going to find me a couple of sticks. I'm going to prop his front leg up, prop his back leg up, and I'm going to dress this thing out. So I looked around, found me some sticks. I did that. Got the front leg up, got the back leg up, and I split him open and started uh, working on getting the, the guts and stuff out. Well, in a white tail, you can reach your arms up there. You can reach the backbone, and you can pull that out. Well, in an elk, that's not necessarily so. Yeah. And I'm not used to it. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm pulling and trying, and, and I was like, I, I got to get up in there. I'm going to have to get up in there and, and get this animal clean. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, this is on, if you can picture it, this is on a really steep mountain. Um, I'm sitting on shell rock, slipping and sliding. The the elk sitting there, got both legs propped up. So I, I take the top part of my incision on the elk, and I lift it up, and I put it on the back of my head. I reached up in there and started cutting and pulling. Well, as I'm doing this, the elk starts sliding a little bit. The elk slides down, touches my knees, and I'm kind of folded up a little bit. I finally get some of the, the insides pulled out of him. But then as I'm trying to come back out, my right arm hit my stick on the front leg. No. Knocked the, the stick out. It fell down. So I'm struggling trying to get out my left arm knocks the other stick out <laughs> so here both legs have fell down my head's inside the elk i've got blood rushing out into my lap the elk has slid down on top of my legs and finally i just leaned back and <laughs> i did the elk slid down me and tumbled down the mountain i had oh. blood from head to toe <laughs> I, and first I got tears in my eyes trying to picture this. <laughs> Dude, the first thing that crossed my mind was, I hope it didn't break an antler. Oh, yeah. So I run down to him, and he's okay. It didn't break anything, didn't damage anything. So I call back on the radio to my buddy. I'm like, I need help. <laughs> so, <laughs> my second thought is, I'm, I hope that I'm not attracting mountain lions now. now. Now, that didn't cross my mind. Didn't cross my mind at all. Oh, that's I'm so excited about this elk. I'm just like, oh, God, I got to get it. So my buddy comes over, and we've hiked a pretty good ways from our camp. And then he was closer to camp than I was, so he had a pretty good hike to me. Well, he comes to me. He helps me um, finish dressing it. We get our game bags out. We get the meat. We debone it. We get all the meat, bag it up. And he tells me, he said, you know, we got to hang this up. Because there's no way we're going to get all of this meat packed out tonight um, to our camp. And I said, all right, well, I said, well, let's hang this up and I'll carry out the the head and hide. And you grab as much meat as you can and we'll go back to camp. We'll go ahead and go to bed and then come back the next morning and get the rest of it. So that was a plan. It was getting late. By the time we got back to the camp, it was almost dark, and there was it was snowing like crazy. Oh, 
And, and again, I had a two-person tent. He had a two-person tent, and we had tarps over the top of the tent. So we hang what meat we had up. I, I hang my head and hide up, and we get it as high as we can. And, of course, we got it away from our camp. We didn't want to, to be right in the middle of the bears and whatever else and mountain lions. And at that time, we did think about it a little bit. You know, we got got to watch about the other animals. Well, I'm cleaning myself up as much as I can, but I've still got blood all over me. So I crawl in my tent. He crawls in his, and we are both just totally exhausted. Well, I'm laying there asleep, middle of the night, and all of a sudden something hits me. And I just, I woke up, and there was something on top of me. I started kicking and screaming, and I was it was like a little kid out there. The snow had snowed so much that night, had piled up on top of the tarp, had caved in and piled in on top of me, collapsed the tent in on top of me. And my first thought was I'm being eaten by a mountain <laughs> because I have blood all over me. Up next is episode 14. It features the guest that has had the most downloads out of any podcast I've done. My most popular episode is with the elk nut, Paul Medell. And uh, there could have been 13 stories out of here that I could have shared. Any story Paul tells is a good one. <laughs> He's a good storyteller. I think that you're going to like this one of him charging at a bull. All, he, he never stopped. He never shut up. As I got to about 40 yards away, I'm running at this bull now, right? I'm going around the end, and I'm running, and I'm hitting crack, and I'm busting everything I can reach out and grab. This is no kidding, because when cows are coming in, and there's no problem, everything's fine, they're the noisiest thing things, or bulls the same way. They're the noisiest animals on earth. You're not hunting whitetails here. These right. are elk. When they are clomping and blanking, they, when they're, you know, they believe it's a real McCoy, they are not quiet. And so I'm cracking and busting and kicking and I'm running and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm making that cow sound. I have a reed in my mouth. So I'm not using an external. In this case, I'm using a single reed, just yeah, 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 yeah. And again, just my voice, but that's the, a, a similar sound I'm using. As a matter of fact, that would work. That, you know, you don't have to be yeah. perfect. And as I'm running at the bull, I get to 40 yards and I knock an arrow. And I'm staring through some trees and I don't see anything. So I slowly start moving. I keep in the, all the branches in my way. And all this time I'm thinking, where in the crap is Paul? I mean, I know he was just, <laughs> he has to be somewhere around here. I'm, I'm going at the bull and I'm looking and I'm, you know, kind of real careful because there's a bull right over here and I don't see anything. And so I'm slipping through, slipping through, keeping the cover. And I hear the bull make a little bit of a sound. I'm like, man, he's just right over the edge. And so I've got an arrow knocked on my longbow and I'm creeping, creeping. I get to some branches and I'm thinking, man, he's only right there somewhere and I don't see anything. So I decide not to go around that tree branch, the branches. And I'm staring through the branches in the direction I last heard him. And I'm staring. I mean, I must've stared for a minute. All of a sudden I picked out a time. This bull was staring right at me this whole time. I mm. didn't even catch him. He was on the downward slope. There was a downfall log there, probably two and a half feet tall. He was behind it on the downhill side. And all once I started putting it together, I could see his nose, his eyes, his ears, and a six-by-six six bull. And he was just staring at that. He saw me going to the tree. But he couldn't identify me. It was all broken up, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is a standoff right now. So I'm standing there, arrow knock, not moving an inch, staring at this bull, doing mm. nothing. And all <laughs> of a sudden, the bull kind of perks up his head. He looks at me, kind of twists around, and he hops the log in my direction. 
somehow he's convinced that what he saw in the movement over there has to be that cow. He starts walking up to me, walking, walking. And I see him. I'm like, he's coming. He was at 35 yards. I see him hit the 30, 25, 20, and he's still walking. And there's a big downfall between me and him, some more pine trees. And this downfall had limbs everywhere. He walks to 17 paces away from me. He's standing there broadside. And I can see one of the limbs are going. It's in a 45. And it's starting from his guts all the way across to the top of his heart, a little bit of his lungs, to the back of his neck. And I was like, I can't try that shot with this recurve or this longbow. I mean, you just it's not like a compound where you can just go zip and I can miss it by right. an inch or two. And it's like, I can't do it. I, I might be able to make the shot, but I can't chance the glance. He's only right there. And so I'm sitting there waiting, 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 not drawn or anything, just frozen. All of a sudden, he walks to an aspen tree, which was about 25 yards away. He walks straight to it, and his rear is at me now. And now I have a chance. I see him rake the tree. He's raking it with his brow tines, and this tree is like 10 inches across. It isn't moving. It's big, and he is raking it and raking it, and all he, all I see is his rear and the back of his head. No shot, but it's my chance to move. I'm like, there's a big granite rock to my right here, about five feet. If I can get on that rock and climb on it, I have some elevation, and it, he, he doesn't know I'm there. I slowly creep over, and I don't even look at that rock. I am looking at him this whole time. I get on top of the rock. Now I'm positioned. I'm like, if he goes to my left, when he's done, there's trees. I have nothing. I have absolutely zip. So I'm I'm banking on him turning around and at least looking for the cow. You know, I don't know what's happening. I'm just standing right there, just ready to draw this bow. And he turns around. He looks, and what does he do? He bugles. He just screams. I'm talking about making a meltdown. I mean, I don't care how long you hunted. When they scream at you that close, and he doesn't even know I'm standing there, he turns and faces me, and he starts walking at me. And as soon as he does, he decides he's going to go back the way he came. That was exactly what I needed him to do. He walked right back on the other side of that tree. And as soon as he cleared that branch, he was barely moving. And I did not stop him. As he went, I mean, it was like clunk. And then another foot. He was in no hurry at all. As soon as he hit it, I drew back and fired. And I saw the arrow hit it in the top of the heart. Right through the top of the heart and lost complete sight of the arrow. Went right through him. As I heard him run, crash, 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 I ran over to the edge and looked, and I saw him all piled up there, racking everything, laying there dead. He didn't go anywhere. And so I'm looking at him like, oh, it was. I looked around (laughs) at him like, man. So I'm thinking, so I turned around real quick to go find my son and I run right into him. He is standing two feet from me. (laughs) I just shot the bull right there. And he goes, I know, I just saw it. I says, where were you? I looked everywhere for you. He said, when you came around, you know, the, when you started running at him, I said, yeah. He says, well, as soon as you started running, I am at, the, at 40 yards away looking at him. He's down, down behind that log. I'm standing there watching him. I got into the cover. He says, you ran right by me, and I am waving my hands at you. <laughs> Stop, he's right there. He says, when you didn't up, I grabbed a rock, and I threw it trying to slow you down to make you hear it. And I hit you right in the back of the leg with it. And I said, you're kidding me. And he goes, no, I mean, it hit you with, he said, it's a big rock, bigger than a golf ball. And it hit you right in the calf. He goes, I knew that was going to stop you, but you were breaking things and running and mewing. He said, you just kept right on running and went right on by me. 
<laughs> such a great episode. A lot of great stories in episode 14. But uh, just a couple episodes later, I met a guy from Australia. Call him Ozzy Daniel, Daniel Mummery. And what's neat about this is the story that he tells is really cool about the missing bolt. That's what you're going to hear today. But beyond that is just... Daniel and I became good friends after this. A guy from Australia, clear across the other side of the world, he and I, we actually call each other once a week and talk and share stories, and it's just a really cool thing. And not just not just Daniel, but several other guests. I've been able to get to know Bobby Andrews and uh, so many others I'm able just to kind of keep in contact with and... Um, you know, it's just been neat. I love that aspect of this podcast. It's been very cool. So today you're going to hear the missing story, uh, the story of the missing bolt by Ozzy Daniel. It's from episode number 16. A few years later, uh, like a year later, he went to the same place I would just explained to you this on this doe hunt, but a different part of it. And that was a five-hour hike uphill. Now, I hadn't been there at this point, and he took my brand-new rifle, on this hunt and he was away for four or five days anyway i'd plan on going away for a hunt when he got back i was going to meet him halfway we're going to swap the gear that i needed with his and and then i'd go up so i went out to get i went out to his property to get all the gear that i needed and (laughs) i don't know how god works mate but i I wonder if he's (laughs) I don't know how it worked, but I had this weird sense that I should take another rifle in case something's happened to mine. And (laughs) I thought, nah, you know, what what am I thinking like that for? Anyway, he rings me and he goes, hey, Dan, how you going? I said, yeah, how you going? All right, I'm just getting some stuff ready for this hunt. And he goes, oh, I've lost your bolt. I said, you know, you're real funny, Dad. Like, you know, that's that's classic, you know. <clears throat> he said, no, no, I'm really sorry, mate. I've lost your bolt. I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, yeah. And he explained what happened to me. And because where where he was hunting is a is a a lot of hikers come through there, like every now like every now and then. Like it's not a hikers trail, but it's a main ridge that on the big hiking maps. Mm-hmm. So he said that some hikers came along, and and to be safe, he took the bolt out of it. And because you don't know, some people don't understand firearms and they get a bit scared. So he took the bolt out of it, put it in his pocket mm. and continued on. Anyway, he must have forgot about the bolt. <clears throat> he just oh, kept man. hunting. Now, he, anyway, he, he walks, he hunts five, 600 meters and he looks down and the bolt's not in the rifle. Oh, it's in your pocket. Checks the pockets. You're joking. Oh. Anyway, he, he, <laughs> He he searched for that bolt, Trav, the rest of the time hunting. Instead of hunting, he looked for this bolt. Anyway, it was hunting, on a ridge. Hunting for the bolt. <laughs> hunting for the bolt. Anyway, so he was there for three or four days. Couldn't find it. Rings me. Can't find your bolt. So I took the 300 wind mag with me. I met him halfway, swapped gear, and he's, I'm really sorry, mate. That's all right. I'll forgive you. You know, no worries. We'll, we'll work it out. Anyway, so over the next two years, Trav, my dad drove six hours and he hiked five hours up this hill. He's 72 years old hmm. and he, he's, 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 oh, he inspires me. He really does. 4,000 foot up looking for this bolt. He went back three, maybe I think he went back three times. On the fourth time, he took his mate from the Deer Stalkers Club in, in Victoria we have here. And they did this big trip that dad's always wanted to do since he was, I don't know, 
since I was a young fellow. He's always looked at this map and gone, that's where I want to go. So he did this, he did this big trip with, um, with Pat and he said, look, Pat, this is, this is the area, you know, they've been hunting for three days and they came to this spot and he said, keep your eye out. I lost Dan's bolt two years ago. You know, you never know. Anyway, so what happened, <laughs> they're walking along and anyway, you won't believe it. Pat finds this bolt. Like, oh, wow. now you think about the back country, you think about how big your back country is and you're walking over rocks and cliffs and shrubs and all this stuff and, and if, if you lost your bolt or you, whatever you want, you know, your GPS yeah. or your whatever and you try to find it, it's it's really hard to find, impossible. Mm. Pat finds this bolt and Dad didn't know and about half an hour later, Pat goes, hey, have a look at this and Dad nearly fell over like, oh, are you serious? Wow. Like, you found this bolt. It spent two winters up there, two winters. Now, what happened, he didn't tell me. He came back from this fourth trip and they found this bolt. He came back and he said, We're gonna, do you want to have a barbecue at my place? I said, yeah, no worries, come around for a barbie. He said, oh, Pat's going to come. He's going to bring his girlfriend from Melbourne, which is a two and a half hour drive. So that's a long way to come for a barbecue. But anyway, no worries. He comes along and they, we, had, we cooked our lunch and had that. Then dad brings out a cake. And I said, what's the cake for? He goes, oh, we're having a wake for the bolt, you know, say goodbye to it sort of thing. I said, right, right no worries. And uh, and he'd organised for the bakery to, you know, do their ice, icing writing on it. You know, this is the coordinates and this was the date. And I didn't read it. I should have read it and I would have clicked. So <laughs> I, cut in, <laughs> I cut into the cake and it only went halfway. I'm like, what's going on here? And he said, open the cake up. So I split the cake in half and here's this bolt wrapped in cling wrap glad wrap in the middle of the cake and he'd organized <laughs> that is awesome. he organized for the bakery to to do that for me and i said what are you kidding he said yep he said pat found the bolt um in this area blah 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 and we all laughed and had a chat like talked about it and couldn't believe it got photos you know like anyway it was a great time and and so now we we checked the bolt and it made two years in in like winter conditions in snow like snow country, and it was fine. The internal of the bolt looked brand new. We pulled it apart. Spring was fine. Um, it had a little bit of surface rust on the outside, but it was stain- like sort of semi-stainless, and it was fine. What a great story. Really cool. And I tell you what, this episode is so hard. to. There's so many stories like that that I could tell, so many crazy things that have happened to different people, and um, it's really been hard to pick. But beyond just like the hunting, what I really appreciated about Daniel and some other guests is their willingness to not just talk about hunting, but talk about just their personal journey of, of life. And you guys know, if you've listened to this episode, any podcast, um, that it's not just about hunting, it's about faith and what I think God teaches us. And part of my goal with this whole podcast was to just plant little seeds, little things for you to think about. If you are a Christian, maybe it'll encourage you. If you're not, maybe it'll make you think a little bit. And one of the guests that probably did one of the best jobs of this was from Primos Outdoors, Troy Ruiz. And episode 30, part two, it took two episodes to do this, Troy talks about a duck hunt that he has with Phil Robertson. He's there to film Phil shooting these ducks, but God is working on his heart. Here's Troy Ruiz telling his story of how he came to faith. And we start talking, and I start asking him questions, and we visiting on stuff, and, and, and he's talking about hunting and growing up hunting and trapping and being a river rat and all the things that we all know now about Phil. And somewhere in that interview, the, the tables kind of changed, and, and 
there were some questions that I started asking Phil that um, in, in several years back, I used to have to go back and look at the footage and and listen to myself ask those questions because it wasn't me asking those questions, and, and it was questions about God. It was questions about salvation. It was it, it was it was weird how they came about, and I and I don't know. Well, I know he didn't come out with it, but it was just it, it somehow found its way in our conversation. And and the further we talked and the more we talked, the deeper it got and the deeper it got. And the more I felt like this is the same stuff and the same feeling I had those two nights at the church. I said, what in the world is going on? Is, is, is Phil and this preacher guy friends and they trying to grab me? What, is this Jesus freak stuff? You know, and my my first thought was they pump it in the air that church, and once they get you, they got you. So I kind of I kind of kept listening, but the more I listened, the more I felt like I felt that night in the church. But it got worse on me at, at this at this hunt. Um, and towards the end of that interview, I literally could not lift my face uh, out of that viewfinder because I had filled I literally filled the viewfinder up with tears from just sitting there crying from conviction and 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 realizing that the things he was saying. I don't know why he was saying them, but man, they were just—they were cutting me like a two-edged sword, just like hot butter. And I just—I didn't say nothing, man. We got the interview done. I kept my head down. I was like, man, that's perfect. That's awesome, Phil. Thank you, buddy. And he just kind of walked off and went into doing what he does. That night, I was sitting there going through the footage, trying to trying to just keep my mind off of what happened in those three incidences, and then I just—I could not stop thinking about it. I could not stop thinking about. What was said and, and and the things that were said, especially at the church, and then then it solidifies it there with Phil. And I'm like, what in, what is this? I just couldn't sleep. I stayed up all night. And the next morning we went hunting again and had another great shoot. And uh, I, I had to I had to tell Phil what was going on. I had to tell Phil how I felt, why this was happening. I don't know why I had felt like I had to tell him, but he was my friend. Who else do I tell at that time? Yeah. So I told him, I said, hey, um, I got two more questions I got to ask you in this interview. And he says, what, what are you talking about, Ruiz? I said, I, I got to interview you one more time. He says, Charles, we ain't doing no more interviews. And I thought, when I heard him say my first name, I'm like, ooh, I made him mad. He don't want to do this. Because he never calls you by your first name unless he's ticked off or just aggravated with you. And I said, no, man. I said, look, I stayed up all night long going through the footage, looking at everything. I said, man, i got about two more questions to ask you to, to help solidify what we're doing. And I'm just telling you, Phil, this show is going to be its going to be two episodes, and it's going to rock. And it's going to blow your doors off in that little old shed that you make duck calls in. <sighs> yeah, Ruiz, whatever. All right, come on. So we went over there, and I set the camera down, put him in the same spot so it would look the same. And I set him down, and uh, he said, all right, what's the question? And I, I sat down in in an Indian-style position with my legs crossed, and I just looked at him, man. I had big crocodile tears rolling down my face, and I could tell he was like, he was looking at me like something ain't right. And I basically just, I sat right there and told him the same thing I just told you and everybody that's listening to this podcast, my story up until the day before when I went hunting with him. And that took about an hour, maybe a little bit more, out of our time. And everybody else was waiting for us at the truck. And they, I knew they had no idea what was going on. 
but they knew me and Phil were handling business over there, and they'd leave us alone. And Phil had his he had his his pointer finger under his nose and his thumb on his chin, and he's kind of sitting there, kind of like resting his head in his hand. And for an hour, I don't think he ever blinked. He just listened to my story intently. I'm most sure he did blink, but I didn't see it. And he listened to the whole story and and everything I had to say. I I literally had his 100% undivided attention. And I got done, and I just I couldn't even talk no more. And he took a big, deep breath, moved his hand, and he grabbed that beard, and he scrudged that old beard, which went down to his knees about then, and just rubbed it two times, and he looked at me, and he goes, Ruiz, he said, this is serious business, boy. And I'm like, what are you talking about, serious business? He said, we talking about a dead man. And I'm thinking to myself, here I am in the middle of Texas, Phil fixing to shoot me? I mean, what? <laughs> I said, what do you mean, a dead man? He said, we're talking about a dead man's soul. I said, what dead man, Phil? I'm confused. He said, you. I said, I'm not dead. I'm sitting right here. He said, you're dead, Ruiz. You're spiritually dead. I said, but, but what's that mean, Phil? What, what are you talking about? And we sat right there for another hour. And Phil shared his whole story with me. Everything that we all know now about Phil, from the books that he's read to the stories that Miss Kay has told, I heard all of that right there uh, at the edge of a duck pond. And not only did he tell me that story, but he shared the gospel with me and shared the good news of Jesus Christ as to what he did and who he is and why he did what he did for, for me and for you and for, for everybody, for all of us. And right then and there, I understood what took place those two nights in that church, what took place in the car wreck that I got in, leaving my occupation, what took place of leaving. It 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 proved to me that somebody was putting a puzzle together in my life mm-hmm. to get me to that moment right there, and and I accepted Christ right there in that duck blind um, that day in, in January. Uh, well, well, or late December um, in Texas with Phil. And it's funny because he, he, he said, now, Ruiz, he said, you need to get baptized now. And you need to make this a public profession of faith. Profession of faith. He said, um, we can do it right here in this in this water. I said, Phil, it's 27 degrees out here. <laughs> and I said, I don't have no dry clothes. He said, it don't matter, Ruiz. It's all about Jesus. And I was like, man, I said, look, you told me if I if I – if I recite that prayer that you told me to say, that that I would be a born again believer, and I said I believe that, and I believe something's going. On. I said, but I, I need to go back and talk to that preacher man. And I didn't even know Brother Ken's name at the time. I said, but I need to talk to that preacher man, and 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 I want to hear that preacher man tell me the same thing you told me. I said, if you two don't know each other, and he can tell me what you just told me, I'm in. I tell you what. Um, <clears throat> that episode still gets me, and that's that's what it's all about. You just never know how God is going to work in our lives, and I hope that maybe in some way He has used this podcast to work in yours and encourage you in your faith, uh, make you laugh, make you smile, make you a better hunter, and all those things. Uh, it's fitting to me that this episode is going to air the week of Christmas, and I, I just wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Hope that you enjoy the time, 
and um, it's just been a gift to me to have this podcast, to have you guys come on my show, and I thank you so much for listening. We're going to kick off next week with another guest, get ready for the new year. Uh, Until then, remember to shed the light.